Welcome to the social medium. No, I'm not a medium, but I do love different mediums, like social media and podcasting. You may know me from Savar Vive by JJ or My Beauty Fuel Food by JJ. Now I am a business founder and entrepreneur. Take three, let's do this. I am thrilled this afternoon to chat with Laura Vidriquin, who is the founder of Kids O'Clock, who is also pregnant at the moment and very present on social media with your amazing fashion. I just love what you just came out with, with um, Leandra and dressing as like a normal person when you're pregnant. So that's really cool. Yeah. Thanks. You know, you're pregnant right now and you came out with a brand for kids. Did you like, were you always somebody that really wanted kids? How did you just like, what, how did this idea come about? Yeah. So I'll go to my first um was nine months when I created Kids O'Clock. I had been in the fashion industry for a long time because I started really early. Um, and it's not necessarily the, the you know the love the love of kids were clothes that made me do it, but more the rhythm and the pace as to which you constantly have to spend um, well to dress them up because you know their essence is to grow. Um, and this is what I felt was the most interesting part of the business. If it had been, um, a business opportunity, you know, within, um, pets, um, or plants, I, you know, I probably would have dedicated myself equally. Um, it, it's, it's not the love of, uh, kids wear clothes. It is very interesting. I mean, I don't have any kids yet, but it's, it is something even fascinating to me, like, you know, I like being with my husband and calling um, his brothers like, OK, what size are they? Oh, no. Now they're more like four to six. But this one's really tall. So he's eight to 12. And so, yeah, it's like it, it must be kind of overwhelming for parents. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know if it is overwhelming for them or if it's just part of, you know, being being a, a parent. Um, there are so many other topics that can overwhelm one. Um, what I think is, is, is really interesting is, um, the relationship between purchasing and letting go, which is extremely quick, uh, mm-hmm. especially before two years old, because it, you know, you're speaking in month. Uh, yeah. And this in comparison to the era we live in, which, you know, is like purchase for something that's going to last and ensure that you are. Um, spending money on on something that you will keep forever and that you cherish, et cetera, which is the opposite, really, in the kids' world. world. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, it's it's funny um, thinking about the idea of, like, you know, if you, I know there are some parents that, like, keep all of their kids' clothes and it's like, that must really accumulate, like, super fast. So the idea behind Kids of Clock was the idea to, to make a marketplace for parents to get kind of pre-loved clothing yeah we go um clothing accessories toys there's also some gear so like sometimes there are strollers there are car seat little kitchen tower that would be sold on on it as well it's it's a bit more difficult to deal with those items in terms of logistics obviously um but it does happen that people from the same neighborhood or town 
So is it kind of like a is it kind of like a vintage for kids clothes? Yeah. I, you know, when people want to find a big sister or big brother to it, they they use the the comparison e, like eBay vintage vestiaire collective. It's really interesting how our brain are shaped to find a comparison to something that is new. True. With something that exists already. I think there's some sort of a reassuring curve here. Um, so yeah, one of the three. So so coming from, so you started fas- um, working in fashion from a young age. Um, what was your first job and what was starting early to you? Like, I mean, I also started early um so I totally get it like you knew starting as you were young like fashion is my thing I want to work in fashion and you grew up in Paris right I grew up in Paris fashion was not necessarily my thing what I um because I I really I and to this day I don't know what fashion is really to me it's just it's too broad but what I was extremely interested by is um is um trend and analyzing like uh, consensus of people wanting the same thing for no apparent reason um and I thought this was this was fascinating my first job in the industry well I had I had small jobs so on the weekend I was um sales associate and different stores so I had done remember I had been at Iro in in Marais and I was 18 uh and then I graduated to be a salesperson at Chanel uh, wow which was yeah it was amazing although the only thing that I was able to do was just doing um, gift wrap packaging and if you ever go there and treat yourself you'll see that the, the gift wrap was something really special so like few few hours of training in, in the back room to just be allowed to touch the camellia um, which felt like golden at the time um, and then my my real opportunity which then you know kicked me off and made me move to the US was um, um, a showroom opportunity so I was a sales associate for Balmain at the time where they had the leopard the leopard printed uh, bell bottom pants um, hey. yeah it was amazing this was the best uh, to me it was my favorite era at Balmain um, and I remember selling something to um customer and, and the guy says your English is pretty good and you seem to know the collection by heart uh, what are you doing during market and it's like what is market yeah and he goes I essentially represent Balmain in the US and we have some buyers we need someone to, who knows the collection who is based in Paris to sell the collection to them and I was like oh my god this seems this this is like the opportunity of my entire lifetime so obviously I say yes obviously I skip school once like once um, a trimester for a week and I'm exposed to this amazing uh, new world of wholesale mm-hmm. and then after a few seasons with um, the company um, he asked if I was willing to move to the U.S. to continue the job um, I of course said yes and I had to finalize my diploma, which was long distance then. So I had to connect at the time. It was not the pandemic vibe. So I had to do it on Skype. No one were really used to doing long distance meetings and video. Um, so I was working during the day, during the day and, and at night um, studying my, my master, which was fashion. 
it's so funny. This makes me actually think of, um, I mean, everyone has a different experience, but um, I kind of had an inverse uh, experience uh, when I was finishing school. I really, really wanted to go to Paris yeah. and I got an opportunity and it was like a race to the finish line to like make sure I could get to Paris. And uh, it's and it was also before COVID times. And yeah, like the excitement, the stress, the newness. But, you know, I can imagine New York, especially. I mean, it's a lot bigger than Paris. It's this. What was it? How old were you when you arrived in New York? I was 19. That's really young as well. I had done an internship at Marie Claire at the Hearst building two years prior at 17 years old, um, which was a summer internship. So I was, I thought I was familiar with the city. Yeah. <laughs> I quickly realized I was not. Um, and then the, this like job that was supposed to just, you know, be for a few seasons ended up being almost 10 years. Well, that's pretty um, awesome. And yeah. you also ended up working for some other pretty big brands like Nereporte, Moto Operandi. What was your trajectory? Um, so you got there, you started working for Balma. Yeah. Uh, I spent two years working for the, for the office, for the showroom. Um, and then I was exposed to all of those buyers and I, I realized, okay, what really is interesting to me is this mix of um, understanding trends, understanding numbers um, that the buyers require to have. So I asked around and I found a job as an administrative um, assistant buyer, which is like the first, first role one could have close to a buyer. Um, and this was for a store called Atrium. Uh, okay. Atrium was on Ble uh I think it was on Bleaker and Broadway in the heart of Soho. Um one of the person that I worked with at Atrium has now founded Keith, the sneaker. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think I know what you're talking about now. Uh it was really cool. Um Atrium had two locations, one in Miami, one in New York, and we were buying for both stores. I stayed in this in this office for a few uh, I think over a year and a half and then moved over to Modoperandi where I was assistant buyer. Um, and this was um, this was completely different vibe. The, the, the buyers were completely different. The aesthetic, the, the, the trends at the time, it was just, it was really interesting. Modoperandi as a business that's obviously very well known for um, trunk show, but they also have a buy now, wear now business, which uh, I was involved in. Um, so I still was exposed to numbers, um, which I really liked. And then after a few years at Muda Operandi, I got approached by Ralph Lauren and Club Monaco and, and I moved over to the big, big corporation. And at that time you were no longer buying, I guess. So at Club Monaco, this, this, this was a role that was called merchandiser. Merchandiser is basically in the U.S. It's very different in the U.K. and very different in, in France. But in the U.S., a merchandiser is someone that's basically linking all of the team together to build collection. So you're not good at designing, but you know what you want the team to design. You're not good at pulling number, but you know what a good sell-through is. You're not necessarily good at um, 
um, visual merchandising, but you know when something's wrong on the rack. And you're basically shaping all of the teams to make sure that a collection is uh, produced the right way and sold, you know, in regards to how it was bought. That's a really good description of merchandising, actually. Um, my first internship was in merchandising at Diane von Furstenberg for like, when I was from 14 to 17 in the summers. Does it even exist in um, the UK and France? So I think in France, I've only worked like two summers in France, but I think in France it's called Chef de Produit. Okay, yeah. But it, it's a bit more strict than, um, or like framed, I should say, than in the US, as in like you don't necessarily have your right, the right to say as much. Um, mm. So I've heard, but I think it probably depends yeah. on the companies, right? Um, and in the UK, it's, it, I don't even know if um, there is a bit of a merchandising, but... Um, again, it's you're either number driven or you are um, fashion driven, but it's hard to have someone who's a, a mix. So you spent ten years, like I think you said, in New York. Then you moved yeah. to the UK. Then I moved to the UK for for a job opportunity, which was with Condé Nast when they were opening the the rebirth of Style.com, mm-hmm. uh, and then needed a buyer for it. So extremely interesting. Um, opportunity because it didn't last long. The company was bought by Farfetch very, very shortly after I moved um, to London. What, what, what did a buyer look like for style.com? So I guess it did it look like what far is it Farfetch technically? Um, what did it I was a, I was an hybrid model of marketplace, um, affiliates, and buying stock. So it was a bit of a, of a three, three in one, which, um, you know, is, is a debate. Again, today, is this what we want from the fashion industry or do we want something a bit more straight and straightforward? Um, but it, I only I only managed to be around for seven months and then seven months after I landed from the US to, to London, they sold it. I didn't follow through to Farfetch, mostly because they don't, oh, they don't they, at the time, they, don't, they didn't have the relationship with stock and this is something. I really wanted, so this is why I went to Netaporte. Okay, so you worked at Netaporte when you were in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a buyer. Yes, shoe buyer. Oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, it's it's one of the most interesting category because it's such a heavy one g- given this the sizing. It's when you buy a pair of shoes as a buyer, you don't buy one, you buy twelve minimum. Um, and so. Were you all shoes, like the shoe category, or is it, is it get split in like different? Yeah, no, it's split. It's split. So I had a, I had a work, I had a desk mate who was looking after all the luxury. Um, and I was looking at contemporary and sneakers. Okay. So kind of, you kind of have, I guess, I mean, not always, but going back to the atrium days, a bit of a sporty vibe. Um, I guess I'm comfortable in both because Moda was not sporty. True. Um, True. Club Monaco and Ralph Lauren definitely are more of, um, you know, American classic. Um, that is for sure. So, yeah. And so first, so your first um, venture in entrepreneurship was with Kids O'Clock. Yes. 
And so, so what did this look like? So you had your, your first um, child and you were like, okay, this is kind of crazy, this whole sizing situation. And you were like, I want to create a solution. How did it all come about? How did it come about? I think I was thinking about a solution, but I was, to be honest, it's more of, it's more like as a brand that I was looking, um, I was looking to build a brand. I was looking to build a brand without having to build a product, textile per se, or accessory. Um, I ended up creating a tech product, so I don't know what's easier to be honest. <laughs> um, and I just realized that I had been shopping secondhand for myself since the beginning of times for many reasons. Um, the love of archive, um, obviously the, the you know the pricing as well, which is much more affordable when you're a young kid working in the city and salaries are ridiculously small. Um, and also just a love of having those product commuting within my wardrobe without any attachment. I guess because I'm a buyer, I have not a lot of attachment to product. Mm-hmm. And so there's three, there's three notions combined um, made me realize that this is probably what I would be good at creating for kids. Um, everything started really when I, the moment I, I found the name. Before I had found the name, I was very unsure about the, the model, um, what I wanted it to be. Why would it be kids only? Would it be adults as well? Etc. And then when I found that this will be called Kids O'Clock, it was a bit of a haha moment. And then, um, and then I went for it. I love the name actually. And I know that things come to us in all different ways. How did it come to you? Mm, I was walking um, in the neighborhood and this was second wave of COVID. So I was alone and I constantly was fighting to find a name. And um, I was like, okay, this is something about kids. This is something about the time that goes by. This is something about round circularity. And then Time for Kids came up and then Kids O'Clock was next. I love it. I mean, I it I feel like it's one of those kind of things that sometimes also with like names and things like that, like we can't predict when it comes to us and then all of a sudden it does and we're like, oh, that's it. And you don't even think about your life before. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. It's always has yeah. been around. I don't know. It's probably like the same. It was a, a name for your head or your pets or, you know. Yeah, no, I think about it in like the name of my company. Like, I mean, I literally like was just lying in bed and all of a sudden it came to me and I was like, oh my God, this is it. And then you're like kind of proud. You're like, oh, this is so clever. I'm so proud of myself, you know? Yeah, you're like, I found the one. This is it. Yeah, I found the one. This is it. So um, so now you live in London and you, what city do you feel like you... um you vibe the most with now that you I mean now that you've done I mean there's obviously other cities but New York London and Paris are is it more of like you identify it with a time in your life or is there one city that really is like in your heart um it's a really hard question um I think being born and raised in Paris will always make me um Parisian and how I feel when I go home. However, becoming an adult and a professional adult um, in the US um, has completely changed my relationship to the world. 
Um, and it is very different than I think some of my friends who stayed in Paris their entire time. Um, however, I was never a parent in New York, right? I became a parent when I moved to London. Yeah. So these naturally, those three cities just shape, were shaped at the same time as my life was. So you have the childhood in Paris, you have the teen and the young adult phase in the US, and then you have the parenthood and, and entrepreneurship, you know, slash um, adults, I would just say, in, in the UK. And I somehow it feels perfect to me that way. Like I would have not loved being a parent in, in the States, I think, um, because my life was so busy working and, um, you know, mingling with friends in New York that I don't foresee, I don't, I don't see the like room for kids there. But then yeah, when I think of Paris, I love the relationship that I have with the city, which is extremely, uh, soft and, um, I treat it like a wanderer, if that makes sense. And, and I mm -hmm. don't know if I'll be capable of working the way I do when I'm in London or New York. I think that's a really good description, or at least I relate to it a lot in that New York, I mean, it's it's where I go home when I visit my family. And it's a big, like, it's a nice energy recharge. But um, it's so intense that, you know, even my parents, they moved out of the city to raise us. But I wouldn't really want yeah. that, the life I had for, you know, my kids in where I grew up, even though I loved my uh, my upbringing. And Paris, mm -hmm. I think as a New Yorker, you can find uh, the energy that you need because, you know, you're already so used to the speediness of of, um, of New York. But I have a, a really good friend that um, just moved from Paris to, to London. And she was saying, you know, actually, it's the perfect, like, in between because you have this like kind of bustling city vibe but it's a, more of a smaller village at the same time um so i can totally understand why you would say that i mean i think that london is it's a really nice in between actually it's funny because a lot of people reassured me when i moved to the U from when i moved to london because i moved in two weeks like i just didn't want really yeah it was really really quick i didn't want it to be something that lasts because if i had listened to myself i probably would have change my um my mind like ten thousand times and drive my my tours crazy. So I just needed it to do it like a walk strip. And um and I remember someone saying to me, you'll see London is the perfect in between, between where you come from and between where you are now. Um and it stuck with me because every time I would treat London like New York or Paris, I was disappointed. Yeah. So London is huge. So in New York, you can after work and go to yoga, then you would go to yoga, I don't know, in Chelsea, then have a drink in Tribeca and have dinner in Brooklyn. And that's totally feasible. Um, in London, if you try and have, um, you know, your yoga in Eastington and then have your dinner in Shoreditch and a drink in Southgate in the middle, like impossible. You're yeah. Really late, lose your friend, like nightmare. You know? Yeah. 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 It's uh, and in, in Paris, I mean, everything is just so close that it's even like but people kind of stay in the neighborhoods in Paris as well. It's it's uh, it's yeah, no, it definitely is a great in between place. And speaking of in between. So now, you know, like you um, I think also as an entrepreneur, 
you're also a mother. And so there's some more balance to be had. How do you keep, um, you know, because you were even saying, you know, when you lived in New York, you had such like a, a fast life. I mean, everyone, so many people in New York do. Um, how do you keep time for yourself? I mean, now you're pregnant. You're that's a lot to balance. That's a lot. Um, and um, the one thing that I can now completely freely say is that for me, at least, there there is no I I don't I don't do well with balance. Um, I worked so hard for four years to build Kids O'Clock, um, and I didn't think about necessarily having a second kid and um, be extremely present, although I was as much as possible for my first one. Um, and now that I'm about to give birth to a second boy, I am deciding to just take a really, 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 really slow curve on on the business. Um, one day I was discussing with this with this older lady that said to me, Women can have it all. Women should have it all. Uh, women sh must have it all. I, you know, I, I felt at the time really, really empowered by what she was saying because I was young and I, I, I was not a mom at the time. And now I actually don't think that um, what she said resonated with me. It felt great in theory, but in, pra in, in practical or practic practically, it just didn't, it just doesn't work. Yes, you can have it all for sure. And you should have it all, but not at the same time. Oh, no, are you going to burn yourself? So for you, it's more about deciding what your priority is. Yeah, this is how I do things. And I think this is how I thrive. Everyone's different, obviously. Um, but I like to have something set in my in my brain and my priority in my calendar and be like, okay, this, I'm going to go for it. I'm not saying that I, I'm not capable of working and look at my kid and um, you know, go through my pregnancy the best way possible. But for me, it's a bit more difficult. I think you have a time set for everything. So next steps for Laura is having another baby boy and taking time to, for family and kids o'clock is kind of on the back burner a little bit. I'm going to have to, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, your story with um, with us. It was so interesting and so funny that we have some people in common. It's such a small world. Um, I yeah hate it. Um, and of course, thank you for having me. With pleasure. Thank you so much.